Section 23, Part 1 of The Wallet of K. Lung. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlech. The Wallet of K. Lung by Ernest Brahma. Chapter 5 the confession of k lung related by himself at wu wei when other matters failed him as k lung the storyteller unrolled his mat and selected with grave deliberation the spot under the mulberry tree which would be the longest remained shelter from the sun's rays his impassive eye wandered round the thin circle of listeners who had been drawn together by his uplifted voice with a glance which had it expressed his actual thoughts would have betrayed a keen desire that the assembly should be composed of strangers rather than of his most consistent patrons to whom his stock of tales was indeed becoming embarrassingly familiar nevertheless when he began there was nothing in his voice but a trace of insufficiently restrained triumph such as might be fitly assumed by one who had discovered and made known for the first time a story by the renowned historian lo cha the adventures of the enlightened and nobly born yuin pell have already thrice been narrated within wu wei by the versatile but exceedingly uninventive kai lung remarked wang liu placidly indeed has there not come to be a saying by which an exceptionally frugal host's rice having undoubtedly seen the inside of the pot many times is now known in this town as kai pel alas exclaimed kai lung well was this person warned of wu wei in the previous village as a place of desolation and excessively bad taste whose inhabitants led by an evil-minded maker of very commonplace pipes named wang liu are unable to discriminate in all matters not connected with the cooking of food and the evasion of just debts they at shan tzu hung on to my cloak as i strove to leave them praying that i would again entrance their ears with what they termed the melodious word music of this person's inimitable version of the inspired story of yuin pell truly the story of yuin pell is in itself excellent interposed the conciliatory hai sing and kay lung's accomplishments of having three times repeated it here without deviating in the particular of a single word from the first recital stamps him as a story-teller of no ordinary degree yet the saying although it is desirable to lose persistently when playing at squares and circles with the broad-minded and sagacious emperor it is none the less a fact that the observant of this etiquette deprives the intellectual diversion of much of its interest for both players is no less true to-day than when the all-knowing how-to uttered it they well said 
they of Shansu, that the people of Wu Wei were intolerably ignorant and of low descent, continued Kai Lung, without heeding the interruption, that although invariably of a timorous nature, even to the extent of retiring to the woods on the approach of those who select bowmen for the imperial army, all they require in the story is that it shall be garnished with deeds of bloodshed and violence to the exclusion of the higher qualities of well-imagined metaphors and literary style which alone constitute true excellence. Yet it has been said, suggested Hai Singh, that the inevitable Kai Lung can so mold a narrative in the telling that all the emotions are conveyed therein without unduly disturbing the intellects of the hearers. O oh, amiable Hai Singh, replied Kai Lung with extreme affability, doubtless you are the most expert of water carriers, and on a hot and dusty day, when the insatiable desire of all persons is towards a draught of unusual length without much regard to its composition, the sight of your goatskins is indeed a welcome omen. Yet when in the season of the cold white rains you chance to meet the belated chair-carrier who has been reluctantly persuaded into conveying persons beyond the limit of the city, the solitary official watchman who knows that his chief is not at hand, or a returning band of those who make a practice of remaining in the long narrow rooms until they are driven forth at a certain gong stroke, can you supply them with the smallest portion of that invigorating rice spirit for which alone they crave? from this simple and homely illustration, specially conceived to meet the requirements of your stunted and meagre understanding, learn not to expect both grace and thorns from the willow tree. Nevertheless, your very immature remarks on this art of storytelling are in no degree more foolish than those frequently uttered by persons who make a living by such a practice in proof of which this person will relate to the select and discriminating company now assembled an entirely new and unrecorded story, that, indeed, of the unworthy, but frequently highly rewarded, Kai Lung himself. The story of Kai Lung? exclaimed Wang Yu. Why not the story of Ting, the sightless beggar, who has sat all his life outside the temple of miraculous cures. Who is Kai Lung, that he should have a story? Is he not known to us all here? Is not his speech that of this province, his food mean, his arms and legs unshaven? Does he carry a sword or wear silk raiment? Frequently have we seen him fatigued with journeying, Many times has he arrived destitute of money, nor, on those occasions when a newly appointed and unnecessarily officious Mandarin has commanded him to betake himself elsewhere and struck him with a rod, has Kai Lung caused the stick to turn into a deadly serpent and destroy its master, as did the just and dignified Lu Fei. How then can Kai Lung have a story that is not also the story of 
Wang Yu and Hai Sing and all the others here. Indeed, if the refined and enlightened Wang Yu so decides, it must assuredly be true, said Kai Lung patiently. Yet, since even trifles serve to dispel the darker thoughts of existence, would not the history of so small a matter as an opium pipe chain his intelligent consideration? Such a pipe, for example, as this person beheld only today exposed for sale, the bowl composed of the finest red clay, delicately baked and fashioned, the long bamboo stem smoother than the sacred tooth of the divine Buddha, the spreading support patiently and cunningly carved with scenes representing the seven joys and the tenth hell of unbelievers. Ah! exclaimed Wang Yu eagerly. It is indeed, as you say, a Mandarin among masterpieces. That pipe, O most unobserving Kai Lung, is the work of this retiring and superficial person who is now addressing you and though the fact evidently escaped your all-seeing glance the place where it is exposed is none other than his shop of the fountain of beauty which you have on many occasions endowed with your honourable presence doubtless the carving is the work of the accomplished fang yu and the fitting together replied kay lung but the materials for so refined and ornamental a production must of necessity have been brought many thousand li. The clay, perhaps from the renowned beds of Honan, the wood from Peking, and the bamboo from one of the great forests of the north. For what reason, said Wang Yu proudly, at this person's very door is a pit of red clay, purer and infinitely more regular than any to be found at Honan. The hardwood of Wu Wei is extolled among carvers throughout the empire, while no bamboo is straighter or more smooth than that which grows in the neighboring woods. Oh, most inconsistent Wang Yu, cried the storyteller. Assuredly, a very commendable local pride has dimmed your usually penetrating eyesight. Is not the clay pit of which you speak that in which you fashioned exceedingly unsymmetrical imitations of rat pies in your childhood? How, then, can it be equal to those of Honan, which you have never seen? In the dark glades of these woods have you not chased the gorgeous butterfly, and, in later years, the no less gaily attired maidens of Wu Wei in the entrancing game of Kiss in the Circle? Have not the bamboo trees to which you have referred provided you with the ideal material wherewith to roof over those cunningly constructed pits into which it has ever been the chief delight of the young and audacious to lure dignified and unnaturally stout mandarins? All these things you have seen and used ever since your mother made a successful offering to the goddess Kum Fa. How, then, can they even be equal to the products of remote Honan and fabulous Peking? Assuredly, the generally voracious Wang Yu speaks this time with closed eyes and will, 
upon mature reflection, eat his words. The silence was broken by a very aged man who arose from among the bystanders. Behold the length of this person's pigtail, he exclaimed. The whiteness of his mustaches and the venerable appearance of his beard. There is no more aged person present, if, indeed, there be such a one in all the province. It accordingly devolves upon him to speak in this manner, which shall be as follows. The noble-minded and proficient Kailung shall relate the story as he has proposed, and the garrulous Wang Yu shall twice contribute to Kei Lung's bowl when it is passed round, once for himself and once for this person, in order that he may learn either to be more discreet or more proficient in the art of aptly replying. The events which it is this person's presumptuous intentions to describe to this large-hearted and providentially indulgent gathering began Kei Lung, when his audience had become settled and the wooden bowl had passed to and fro among them did not occupy many years although they were of a nature which made them of far more importance than all the remainder of his existence thereby supporting the sage discernment of the philosopher wen wing who first made the observation that man is greatly inferior to the meanest fly inasmuch as that creature although granted only a day's span of life contrived during that period to fulfil all the allotted functions of existence unutterably to the astonishment and dismay of this person and all those connected with him for several of the most expensive readers of the future to be found in the empire had declared that his life would be marked by great events his career a source of continual wonder, and his death a misfortune to those who had dealings with him. His efforts to take a degree at the public literary competitions were not attended with any adequate success. In view of the plainly expressed advice of his father, it therefore became desirable that this person should turn his attention to some other method of regaining the esteem of those upon whom he was dependent for all the necessities of existence. Not having the means wherewith to engage in any form of commerce, and being entirely ignorant of all matters, save the now useless details of attempting to pass public examinations, he reluctantly decided that he was destined to become one of those who imagine and write out stories and similar devices for printed leaves and books. This determination was favorably received, and upon learning it, this person's dignified father took him aside, and with many assurances of regard presented to him a written sentence, which, he said, would be of incomparable value to one engaged in a literary career, and should, in fact, without any particular qualifications, ensure an honorable competency he himself he added with what at the time appeared to this one as an unnecessary regard for detail 
having taken a very high degree and being in consequence appointed to a distinguished and remunerative position under the board of fines and tortures had never made any use of it the written sentence indeed was all that it had been pronounced it had been composed by a remote ancestor who had spent his entire life in crystallizing all his knowledge and experience into a few written lines which as a result became correspondingly precious it defined in a very original and profound manner several undisputable principles and was so engagingly subtle in its manner of expression that the most superficial person was irresistibly thrown into a deep inward contemplation upon reading it when it was complete the person who had contrived this ingenuous masterpiece discovering by means of omens that he still had ten years to live devoted each remaining year to the task of reducing the sentence by one word without in any way altering its meaning this unapproachable example of conciseness found such favor in the eyes of those who issued printed leaves that as fast as this person could inscribe stories containing it they were eagerly purchased and had it not been for a very incapable want of foresight on this narrow-minded individual's part doubtless it would still be affording him an agreeable and permanent means of living unquestionably the enlightened wen wing was well acquainted with the subject when he exclaimed better a frugal dish of olives flavored with honey than the most sumptuously devised puppy pie of which the greater portion is sent forth in silver-lined boxes and partaken of by others at that time however this versatile saying which so gracefully conveys the truth of the undeniable fact that what a person possesses is sufficient if he restrain his mind from desiring aught else would have been lightly treated by this self-conceited story-teller even if his immature faculties had enabled him fully to understand the import of so profound and well-digested a remark at that time tiao tsian was undoubtedly the most beautiful maiden in all peking so frequently were the verses describing her habits and appearances affixed in the most prominent places of the city that many persons obtained an honorable livelihood by frequenting those spots and disposing of the sacks of written papers which they collected to merchants who engaged in that commerce owing to the fame attained by his written sentence this really very much inferior being had many opportunities of meeting the incomparable maiden tiao at flower fests melon seed assemblies and those gatherings where persons of both sexes exhibited themselves in revolving attitudes and are permitted to embrace openly without reproach whereupon he became so subservient to her charms and virtues that he lost no opportunity of making himself utterly unendurable to any who might chance to speak to or even gaze upon 
this heaven-sent creature so successful was this person in his endeavor to meet the sublime tiao and to gain her conscientious esteem that all emotions of prudence forsook him or it would soon have become apparent even to his enfeebled understanding that such consistent good fortune could only be the work of unforgiving and malignant spirits whose ill will he had in some way earned and who were luring him on in order that they might accomplish his destruction that object was achieved on a certain evening when this person stood alone with tiao upon an eminence overlooking the city and watched the great sky lantern rise from behind the hills under these delicate and ennobling influences he gave speech to many very ornamental and refined thoughts which arose within his mind concerning the graceful brilliance of the light which was cast all around yet notwithstanding which a still more exceptional and brilliant light was shining in his own internal organs by reason of the nearness of a, an even purer and more engaging orb there was no need this person felt to hide even his most inside thoughts from the dignified and sympathetic being at his side so without hesitation he spoke in what he believes even now must have been a very decorative manner of the many thousand persons who were then wrapped in sleep of the constantly changing lights which appeared in the city beneath and of the vastness which everywhere lay around oh calum exclaimed the lovely tiao when this person had made an end of speaking how expertly and in what a proficient manner do you express yourself uttering even the sentiments which this person has felt inwardly but for which she has no words why indeed do you not inscribe them in a book under her elevating influence it had already occurred to this illiterate individual that it would be a more dignified and perhaps even a more profitable course for him to write out and dispose of to those who print such matters the versatile and high-minded expressions which now continually formed his thoughts rather than be dependent upon the concise sentence for which indeed he was indebted to the wisdom of a remote ancestor tiao's spoken word fully settled his determination so that without delay he set himself to the task of composing a story which should omit the usual sentence but should contain instead a large number of his most graceful and diamond-like thoughts so engrossed did this near-sighted and superficial person become in the task which daily seemed to increase rather than lessen as new and still more sublime images arose within his mind that many months passed before the matter was complete in the end instead of a story it had assumed the proportions of an important and many-volumed book while tiao had in the meantime accepted the witting gifts of an objectionable and excessively round-bodied individual who had amassed an inconceivable number of tales 
by inducing persons to take part in what at first sight appeared to be an ingenuous but very easy competition connected with the order in which certain horses should arrive at a given and clearly defined spot by that time however this unduly sanguine story-teller had become completely entranced in his work and merely regarded tao tsung as a heaven-sent but no longer necessary incentive to his success with every hope therefore he went forth to dispose of his written leaves confident of finding some very wealthy person who would be in a condition to pay him the correct value of the work End of section 23, part 1.